challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe. I'm Harry Edwards, your host for the evening. Joining me in the studio are Lenny Esposito and Dr. Jacob Daniel. How are you guys doing? Good. 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 Great to yeah. be here. I know we're experiencing some technical difficulties, but uh, I trust that you are hearing our voices over the air. We're live right now, and uh, we are going to be discussing uh, Chapter 6 now of Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. The subtext is actually very important, right? It says, a cultural amnesia, expressive individualism, and the road to sexual revolution. So we're, again, that's chapter six, and it's uh, the, the uh, chapter title on that is Sigmund Freud, Civilization, and Sex. There, there's going to be a lot of sex tonight in our <laughs> talks, because we're talking about Sigmund Freud. Now, um, before we get into that... Uh, I want to know how you guys are doing. First of all, happy or post happy post Thanksgiving? Yes, is that a thing? Thanksgiving, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was okay. a great time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots to be thankful for. Uh, yes. Did you guys spend it with family, friends? With friends, yeah. Yeah, we were with uh, one of our church members, and they invited us. Had a wonderful time. And with regards to ministry, just finished uh, our conference, the Bonson Conference, last week. And that went really well. I spoke Good. on uh, the topic of resisting the war on the whole household. And I kind of touched on uh, a little bit in terms of like how the whole sexual revolution is basically uh, misleading the younger generation and thereby dismantling the whole household. Yeah, yeah. So, so we are going to be talking with, about that yeah, for today's sure. Topic. Now, I, I was sharing with you guys a while ago. I did not know uh, until reading Truman here uh, we all know about Freud, Sigmund Freud, a popular uh, um, historical figure, thinker uh, like Darwin and, and Marx and, you know, some of the thinkers that we've been talking about. But I didn't know he was really into sex, that that was like his whole project, that yeah. uh, pretty much he defined human beings as just sexual beings, pretty much. And he, he wanted to say sex is the primary aspect, or, or at least one of the fundamental aspects of who we are. The and, basic and, nature, yeah. Yeah, yes. most of your drives and desires stem in one way, shape, or form as an outgrowth of your sexual understanding. Hmm. So yeah, before we get into uh, th that whole discussion though, I want to make sure that we are understanding how we, get to Freud. So if you've been following our um, discussion here, uh, again, we strongly recommend that you get the book and then you can follow along with us. We're already, you know, uh, chapter six. So hopefully you guys catch the you know, chapters one to five. Uh, you can look at it on our website, www.apologetics.com. And uh, you, you, you'll find our... Um, our archive shows on that, on Truman's book. Again, we recommend it. I've mentioned before that even um, popular thinkers or, or contemporary thinkers of today have highly recommended it, and I appreciate their endorsement because they write in the same areas. So if, if these are the same guys who are technically competitors, right, and they're recommending Truman, uh, that's high praise, like Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro said, this is the most important book of our moment. You know, that's, that's huge. Uh, Rod Dreher, uh, who I think we all should read, he said, this is without question one of the most important religious books of the decade. So 
I have never um, recommended a book more than this one. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned this, and not just that, with much of the ministry that I've been doing, it connects with mm-hmm. a lot of thoughts that I've been sharing uh, with the churches. So yeah, I, I highly recommend I, it. I, I had struggled to, to synthesize the ideas of how did we get how did we go from a traditional understanding of family, a traditional understanding of how life works, traditional understanding of who human beings are, to where we are at today, where the only thing that's true is inner feelings and everything else is um, up for grabs. And Truman, I think, does it beautifully, and he, he does it by synthesizing some pretty significant thinkers who came before him, right? So Alistair McIntyre, Charles Taylor, and uh, Philip Reif. Right. So the, those pulling those three guys together and, and creating a, a narrative uh, really, I thought, was helpful. Yes, absolutely. And there's like the Reader's Digest version of this, right? What, right, what's right. It called? Uh, strange, strange New Worlds. Yes, yeah. there you go. So if this is a little bit too uh, philosophical for y- you guys, for our listeners, go ahead and pick the other book as well. Maybe yeah. read them side by side. Yeah, and I would even recommend, I mean, it doesn't matter uh, whether you're a parent, you're a church leader, youth leader, mm-hmm. you really want to understand where we are as a culture, at least get an analysis of how did we come to where we are. This is the book to pick up. Yeah, because it's important. If we understand what undergirds some of our societal ills, then perhaps we could, uh, l- you know, have a laser focus on right. the issues and and, yeah. and deal with those separately. Yeah, you, you don't want to you don't want to treat a symptom. You want to treat the disease. That's right. Yeah. So. <laughs> you know, I've been saying this uh, for quite quite some time that. Uh, as an Easterner, I see that the West is becoming Hindu. Mm. And I think uh, Carl Truman puts it in a Western language to explain that, how that's coming about. Yeah, yeah. So that's really good. In, uh, let me see if I can find that quote here. But uh, Carl Truman, the author, said of Freud in, in this discussion, he says, it is arguable that Freud is actually the key figure in the narrative of this book. So again, if you're one, if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian leader, you want to understand what's going on in your organization, in your churches. And I was mentioning a while ago, uh, Jacob, that I feel like the church is bewildered. I think that's the, yeah. the word that best describes the church right now. They they know something's wrong, but they're not quite sure. Mm. They can put their finger on it. They know it's bad, but they don't know how it's bad. Or even how to, what to do about it. Oh, exactly, what to do about it. Uh, so, again, getting a book like this will uh, be super, super helpful in just on so many levels. And let me add what I was sharing uh, to you, um, Harry. I personally feel, as a person who is really hopeful about future, who wants to stay hopeful and trust the word of Jesus Christ that he's building the church. I would say that um, um, even after reading this book, I get the sense within the church, it is contributing to that very space where we we are, I believe, as the church was right before Reformation. Mm. Uh, So I think it it motivates us to really Mm. understand where we are and come together as a church and really fight the good fight, uh, knowing what we are fighting. And this book will help us to do that. And also I think this is uh, the... moment where churches need to appreciate history. Yeah. Like, you know, what, what's valuable about history is not just so much the facts, but it's like we want to avoid the mistakes of the past, right? So really even Ecclesiastes tells us there's really nothing new under the sun. 
So we shouldn't be shocked by some of these new ideas. It's, mm. it, it just gets repackaged, right. gets recirculated, but it's it, it's old stuff, you know, nothing new, nothing to be alarmed. And so, again, Carl Truman does a good job. And, and I, I do want to, before we get into Freud, I just want to set it up a little bit, and you guys can just add here. Uh, I, I think he touches on the major thinkers that build upon all of the ideas that lead to this new sexual revolution we're in. You know, when I say the sexual re revolution, we're, we're talking about like normalizing uh, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, and all of those kind, kinds of things. You know, it, it's part of the social imaginary. In, in other words, no one is shocked right now that you, you might have a good friend that is homosexual. You know, that's nothing nowadays. That's nothing. You, you don't bat an eye anymore. Or that you, you know, uh, the whole expression of uh, a, a, a woman trapped inside a man's body, that type of thing. You know, those are, we don't even think twice about it when we hear those phrases. Uh, so, so some of the major thinkers, so uh, Truman does a good job of, um, of, of, of starting with the Enlightenment. Uh, so there's a quest for uh, truth, a quest for certainty, but somehow... Uh, we got disillusioned by that. Uh, maybe it was too far, too too great a project. And um, as as the story goes, uh, it, it disappointed many, and they began to question reality. And, and so we we have enter Nietzsche, right? I mean, at at some point when when we couldn't be certain about God's exist, existence, and perhaps maybe God doesn't exist, and so. The nice thing about Nietzsche is he forces us to face the consequences of killing God. Uh, and what I appreciate about his writings is uh, you just feel that raw emotion, right? I mean, he doesn't want God to be dead, but because we have sort of killed God, then how do we now deal with morality and goodness and beauty and all of those kinds of things? And, and the, the main conclusion is that we have to be our own gods now, or else things will literally just fall apart, right? And then, and then you go to Marx's ide uh, ideas of uh, class struggle. So every issue that you face is uh, an economic, it has um, it, its roots in the economy and, and different class struggles. The poor remain poor, and the, there's the oppressed and the oppressor. But then we get to Darwin, and I really think, and everybody seems to know, you know, familiar with Darwin's ideas, right? And, uh, but I think he does the best job of removing teleology, kind of like the, uh, uh, the thing that we were created to be as human beings. He removed that idea. He eliminated uh, human exceptionalism, mm. and he provided scientific support for those views yeah so why does it matter if we're behaving badly right what, what does it matter it's part of our humanity there's nothing special we're just like animals apparently yeah. right we we're just on we're just on a higher order that's right so yeah. so there so biblically we've always maintained that uh, we aren't we are a difference of kind not a difference of degree hmm. where man is is captured in God's image, made in God's image, has dominion over the creation. And uh, again, uh, it's interesting to, to think about the very first sin 
wasn't the biting of the apple per se. Uh, it was listening to the snake. It was listening to the creation tell you what to do as opposed to you having dominion over the creation. And what we're doing now is our culture is at a point where we're, again, just listening to whatever our biology is um, driving us to do, whatever our, our appetites actually are, which is, again, a form of animalism. It is It is abdicating our role as rational beings who can use our minds to overcome our feelings. And the problem is Christian kids are swimming in the same water as everybody else. Yeah. And so we find that they are unknowingly maybe, uh, but definitely absorbing a lot of these same ideas, even if they express them differently. They may not express it, say, um, in a homosexual way, but they definitely believe, you know, if you ask them, is love love, they're probably going to give you a different answer than you expect. And mm. what, what's wrong with love? Shouldn't we all be loving each other? Now, there's an equivocation in that word. Yeah. But uh, there's that problem. You know, when, when your teenager has a friend who is identifying as gay and comes to you and says, Mom, well, why is same-sex marriage wrong? How do I understand that? Well, then you've got to be able to answer. Yeah. And that's why these kinds of discussions are important. Uh, and I think we, you touched on something very interesting. Uh, we should know that we all are breathing the same air, right? And therefore, it is so important and necessary for us to uh, be understanding these ideas and how impacting it is, as you were saying, yeah. with regards to our children. And um, we also need to understand that uh, it, this is not directly from the book, but if we look at these ideas and they kind of like connecting with each other at, in different domains, the scientific world, the political world, the psychological self and everything, right, coming together, ideas, these ideas that have evil consequences, it's trying to have domain, dominion over all these domains. Yes. Whereas we as Christians sometimes think in terms of like being fragmented, we limit our ethics only and our ideas only within the four walls of the church. I think there's a danger in that. We have to definitely go beyond that and declare the lordship of Christ over all domains, yeah. all spheres, including the politics and the uh, you know scientific world and and everything that do that we do in terms of being uh, cultural beings. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good. That's good. I want to continue the uh, genealogy of ideas here. So after the Enlightenment and after uh, the likes of Nietzsche, Marx, and Darwin, now comes the Romantics. Now, the Romantic period was sort of a, um, again, repudiation of the Enlightenment as well. And because we couldn't really get to certainty, uh, th then we, we became sort of introspective, meaning a lot of the meaning, a lot of truth now became uh, our, our own preferences, you know, um, since we couldn't find certainty, right? That, that kind of makes sense. So we became more inward. But uh, what, what Rousseau and the rest of the Romantic thinkers, the way I understand it, the way I remember their contribution uh, adds to, let's say, the decline of uh, civilization, so to speak. Uh, it, it didn't get better, in my opinion, their ideas didn't get better because 
they were now advocating uh, getting rid of structures because it's those structures that actually uh, hamper human flourishing. Uh, and, and so again, we turn inward again, right? Because apparently society and culture, they're corrupting forces. And, and that's huge on Rousseau, uh, Rousseau is Rousseauan idea. In, yes. in all this, the basic assumption is that we are uh, fundamentally blank slate, right? We are innocent by, by nature and we get corrupted by something that is outward, yeah. be it a system or a structure or even a history uh, of a society that we belong to. And so what you find is you find each, each person has kind of their own hobby horse. So for Rousseau, it's, pol it's politics. It's, it's the natural man is stifled by the hierarchy of government. For, um, for Darwin, it's uh, God. He wants to he wants to make the natural man part of the living system and not beholden to anything higher in the created order. For uh, Nietzsche, it's morality, and he wants to 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 free us from the moral aspects of who we are and the moral constraints. For the Romantics, it's the it's the um, subjugation of your feelings mm. that's why they're known as the romantics because feelings are what they, they love to the visceral idea that just breathing in all of life and and experiencing everything and every experience that they can take in makes them feel more alive well unfortunately most people can't live like that because uh when you get to those points then you start doing things that in upon others right you can't have a civilization of everybody just feeling and 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 so it goes so with Freud it becomes sex sex is his hobby horse that he doesn't like constraints against and that's and that's where we find ourselves now and and you start to have a fusion of all these things right Marx was economics so so whoever had the, they all sought individuals in a very narrow niche whatever their popular niche yeah. was but uh now today we see this now amalgam of all of these things mm, kind of swimming together. together yeah right you're right uh everyone has their champion yeah, yeah. And, and 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 these are the champions champions that we've been uh discussing for the last few yeah, uh, months so, now. so so um, take your pick they, right? they, well there's other names for them right right so in marx was would be molech <laughs> our, our marx would be a baal you know molech would be uh, probably uh, Freud, I guess I would say that, you know, because there's the sexual fertility gods and things like that. So, yeah, it's 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 the same thing. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. in, in cloaked in, different cloaked ways, in yeah. a, a scientific garb. Yeah. But going back again to Truman's quote about how Sigmund Freud here is the central figure that really uh, grounds our discussion here. This is this is part of the subtext this is why Carl Truman uh, wrote this book and it and it's good to understand the dangers in uh, assimilating Freud's ideas hmm. now uh, the author made a good point about connecting uh, kind of like the style that Darwin had Freud adopted it basically popular popularized something um, that is now present everywhere like Darwin everybody knows the uh, the, the word or the name Darwin, and we know evolution, and, and you, you yeah. know, we see that chart, right, from the apes becoming man. You know, everybody's familiar with that. Well, Freud succeeded in that. It, it's part of our social imaginary. Um, we, we use terms like psychoanalysis, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, 
the the patient on the couch you know like d- d- tell me w- what happened when you were seven years old right i yeah. mean that's your typical uh freudian uh experience or uh the the whole uh in our subconscious right we we throw that around so freely uh as if it's a thing and and we believe it right yeah <laughs> like we have freudian slip right like yeah. meaning oh you didn't really mean to say it but maybe your subconscious told you tried to, to say it. to get right we say. have those kinds of things and that's normal now so freud was successful in that and um but we want to dig a little bit deeper and and show you some of the dangers and and um i've got my friends here jacob and lenny we're going to talk about some of the ideas that are uh, less popular and yeah. we have to be mindful of for instance um like i mentioned there's gonna be a lot of sex talk here because that's uh, that's freud well, right see, there. and that's and that's what freud did as you said is while the romantics were these individuals who, again they would they would say the one of the joys in life is you know take your shoes off and run your fingers or from your bare feet through the grass and while that's nice it doesn't put food on the table. Again, most people would have looked at those guys and they say, yeah. And remember, they thought poetry was the way to to discover the true meaning of existence. And you find out that, no, we still have to eat. You know, we still have to do this. That's, that's not the thing that drives everybody. That's the thing that drives some people, maybe. They like the, the pretty sunsets. But but they most common people would say, well, that's a little bit infantile approach what freud did though was saying looking at this inner this feelings driven thing yeah that's your true self that's the that's the thing that's trying to escape and he he succeeded in doing that because he cloaked it in science yeah. he said in medical language in too. medical language right and he was right at the right time when things were just exploding medically when when uh, germ theory is coming into existence and it's sure. never been thought about before where you start to have um, immunizations mm. and people are starting to actually not get diseases because we know how to immunize against certain things you know smallpox being a plague hey if you get cowpox and you don't get smallpox and that becomes a so so these medical marvels and people start putting in a lot of trust in medicine and freud is at the right place at the right time he starts using medical language to say your inner self is your true self and for him the inner self is sexual and of course everybody who's an adult feels those sexual pulls right it's a it's a biological urge like hunger would be it's universal and so of course they're all going to say well yeah i can feel that too mm-hmm. And a good portion of them will also say, well, if you're going to give me an excuse, then I'm going to take it. And so that's, that's why Freud is so much more successful than others. Now, if you talk about his specific ideology, his specific Freudian psychoanalysis uh, scheme, no, nobody does that anymore. And no, nobody believes. Nobody believes. So you know, you have the five developmental phases that we we talk about. The so you, he says even brand new infants are sexualized. Hmm. Uh, the, so you have the the oral phase, mm-hmm. and again, sucking at a mother's breast, right? right. So he immediately so all puts satisfaction it, is through the mouth. Yeah, yeah. He, but he immediately puts it in a sexual term. Right. Because it's like, it, and it reminds me of the thing in C.S. Lewis, uh, where the pilgrims regress, where the uh, ogre says, you know, you just, 
you you know you eat excrement because it's what expelled out of a chicken right you eat the eggs and that's an expose and and the pilgrim says you lie sir because that's not what the egg is for mm. so it's like freud saying this is sexual right the the baby sucking at the mother's breath is yeah no it's it's not it's uh, just what the baby's for it, it, it's for food so it's the same idea and i think freud is and is, since you mentioned that go ahead and do you know the stages of okay yeah. so yeah so you have you, you start have with oral oral then you go to anal yeah. and and when children learn to control their bowels and they yay you're a good boy for doing that they get pleasure from that uh then you go go into the phallic stage where you discover your genitals maybe uh explore them for the first time Latent stage, there's a point where you just uh, 7 to 11 or 12 where you're not doing anything, and then you uh, hit puberty and you become uh, sexually aware in the genital stage. Right. So those are the five stages. You've been uh, listening to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Uh, we have been discussing Chapter 6 of Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. We will be right back after a few messages. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to apologetics.com and click donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting apologetics.com. Just in case you missed the phone number for Doctors A Day, the inventor of the Implanova Dental Implant System, here it is again, 310-273-2020. Think how much better your life would be with a healthy new smile, with dental implants made for a lifetime. If you have missing, decaying, or damaged teeth, or older dental implants did not work for you, call Doctors A Day for a free consultation at 310-273-2020. Credit cards accepted. Financing available. 310-273-2020. Hi, I'm Reverend Andy Bales with Union Rescue Mission. People who end up here at URM have come to the end of their rope. Men, women, and children who desperately need God's help to survive and rebuild their lives. Through your kindness, we are able to give them that hand up and out. Will you join us this year as a supporter of URM? A gift of just $25 a month will touch many, many lives. Find out more at URM.org. That's URM.org. Thank you, and God bless you. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey, welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. This is our the second half hour, and we have been talking about Chapter 6, uh, of Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Chapter 6 is all about Freud, all right, and his ideas. 
and how his ideas have contributed a lot to our, I want to say, what's going on in culture and society today, especially in the West. And uh, before we uh, took a break, we talked about the... Did you say the five stages? Yeah. I, I so, counted. So, there's so, the oral. The oral, anal, phallic, phallic latent. Latent. Yes. That's from about 7 to 11 where, where uh, basically uh, you have most childhood play. Freud would say that there there is some... Um, no motivation s- for sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Or, or there's subliminal ab- absorption of the adult's rules for sexual morality that are happening so so sexuality is being suppressed at that stage um and then once you hit puberty of course then sexual uh desires re-emerge and uh, are trying to be expressed but it's but it's being constrained because of the absorption of these ideas from previous stages and it seems like for freud the teleology teleology of human beings is sex that's yes. the end so as we develop as well human he, beings, and again it's, it's it's very darwinian in that sense right what, what's what's the darwinian goal is to uh, reproduce to to spread your genes the true. most successful species spreads his genes well freud takes that and then mixes it with the pleasure idea of sex and and so that's where it becomes oh this must be scientific mm-hmm. right and uh, the interesting thing that uh, Carl Truman pointed out too, which I think is important for us to note, is because they've taken, uh, they they've just made, let's say, the act of sex very mechanistic, yeah, very Darwinian, let's say, very j- just limited to biology. Any a- any form of what we might call um, as, let's say, sin, let's just call it that, is not sin in of a Freudian sense, it's self-abuse, right? And uh, again, you were talking, Lenny, about how we uh, you use euphemisms for yeah. all of these things. So instead of uh, masturbation as sin, it, it's it's still bad, apparently, but it's called self-abuse. And so you treat it uh, like as a medical condition, not a, a moral thing so well the and then church it gets, no longer has any say to that right but it's right the it, medical right community. it becomes a medical it, in other words if you're over fixated mm-hmm. and, and, and there's a, so there's a qualification that because freud wouldn't necessarily say that masturbation is wrong at all he right. just says that if you're over fixated on it then you're not expressing yourself fully as a sexual being right and right. that's and that's the problem <laughs> and it's interesting people said one of the things that freud actually did was he was the one that would purge the idea of perversion to say something is a perversion. It means that a perversion is a deviation from what it should be, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you pervert someone's words, it means you're taking their words and you're twisting them so they mean something different than what the person originally intended. So with sex, there were, there were ways that you would approach sex that were appropriate that reflected what nature would have but then there were ways that you would do it that were considered perversions homosexuality would be considered one of those in the 1880s let's say and freud tried to eliminate that stigma Hmm. so help me understand this i feel like freud again uh forming his stages of human sexual development had the phallic stage and again discovering um our sexual organs 
And yet, apparently, certain things are just uh, perversions of it, even though apparently it's part of sexual development. That's where I'm a little confused yeah. with Freud. Well, but. again, yeah. So he would, <laughs> but even here, the phallic stage, I don't think anybody actually holds this anymore <laughs> uh, because it's like, it, it, it's, it's an anecdotal. This is, and this is, this is the frustration with these guys. It's, it's yeah. very anecdotal. Do kids discover that they have genitals at some point? Well, yeah, I mean that, that happens. And, and maybe there's what you call fraudage or, or, or rubbing or things like that, but it's not like, Johnny never comes out of the, you know, Johnny's three years old and he never comes out of his room anymore. That does, that's, that's not what kids are about. That's not their driving instinct. Any three-year-old, you know, that's not where he's focused. I mean, you, you, you know, he, they may take their clothes off because they feel free, but it's not sexually driven. It's, mm -hmm. it's, an, it's just understanding your world around you. And Freud just reinterprets it and he interprets it in that way because he's trying to prove his point. He, but, you mentioned the word fixation. Yeah. Would you say that our culture right now is f fixated on those things? Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. I don't think that, uh, I, I mean, you can't, you can't do anything because we say that sex is our identity. Yeah. It is, it it's is who it, we are. It is who we are as opposed to what we do. What we do. And, and it's like, I, I live a gay lifestyle or I live, right? Uh, uh, oh, you're cis or heteronormative. And ideas that we would have never talked about in public before are now put on our t-shirts <laughs> and, and people are getting shut out of the, the world cup soccer matches because they want to show on their t-shirts what their sexual proclivities are. And the progression is something like this. You know, if you see um, uh, people who are identifying in a certain way, it's not only that they are seeking affirmation, mm. Um, uh, so, it, so it's not just uh, in terms of the realization of that identity in our culture, which happens through various, various means and mediums, yeah. but it's also the affirmation of it, that it's something that one needs to affirm right. uh, because it is now about an object of their own identity. So if you do not affirm it, basically you attack the very individual yeah. and their identity itself. And that's where I think it gets really dangerous in terms of being fixated. Uh, so it's not something, as you said, we do. It's something we we are, uh, and that could lead uh, people to various versions of sexuality, right? Because there is no standard by which we are putting any constraints around yeah. sexuality. There are no more constraints, so you have to add, uh, you know, you have to add plus sign at the end of, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> plus would mean anything, anything right. else, anything else, just because we were running out of letters. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't know it yet. You, well, we don't know yet. Think, yeah. of, think of it this way: name one other culture in all of human society where the cultural governing bodies or the major institutions of that shape the culture are themselves supporting specific sexual unions specific sexual acts specific sexual developments here i mean we just came through october everybody changed the logos on their on their corporate brands right u.s soccer is putting rainbows on it and we have uh, the Navy and the Army and the White House is bathing itself in rainbow colors. Name any other culture in all of human history where sex is considered so central to its constituency that we have to trumpet, go out there and be sexual in this way.
I think it has a certain kind of power because it captures not just your body but also your emotions and your feelings and it brings you to a place of that a place of pleasure that I think Freud is kind of touching on that captures um, uh, it centers you yeah. to a place and I think uh, without any constraints then you would want to actually uh, reach to that pain a point of attaining that pleasure uh, by being the center right in right. itself well, See, Freud hits on major uh, important high-level values like for instance love apparently right um, in, in one of his articles, he actually calls love, but it's genital pleasure. Yes, as the that's how he defines it. Experience yeah. of satisfaction. He calls that love, right? But it's it's sex. So that's interesting, right? So so, so 1984, Alex Atlas Huxley, uh, in that book, there are two things that are that uh, the world controllers use to keep the masses in line. The first is Soma, which is a, a drug that kind of makes you feel good and, and, and drives you pleasure. The second is sex. Now they don't ever use sex for procreation. They have breeding facilities that create genetic clones of each other. Matter of fact, there are a few natural people living out in tribes who have birthed the natural way and they're considered savages. Mm. <laughs> they're the ones who are savages. You're, you're, you have a child passing through a woman's birth canal that's that's savage savage um, and it's an interesting juxtaposition yeah. because sex is what you're supposed to do free uh, unhindered just you know pickups and uh and everybody and, and they say that's how we keep everybody in line and that's that's what we're seeing that's exactly where we're going and somehow we are banishing the whole individual responsibility yeah. at the end exactly right yeah. Um, so that so that government or whomever can pick it up yeah. and say we know what's best for you we can we can put you well the yeah. other high value uh, that he touches on again very hard to uh, deny which is happiness so again if we're looking inside and we see our needs obviously happiness is a big thing but he gets it wrong how how to attain it and again for him while he uses the word love he actually means sex so that's uh, that's something that i i learned just re you know just reading this um that that's coming from freud directly what other things um we talked a little bit about i, I wanted to focus on this idea because i i believe i'm convinced that this is the current agenda of our educational system so take the freudian ideas in fact, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read that quote. I think it is so telling of the current educational system in the West today. So, in one of Freud's articles, he writes, "Is it not true that the two main points in the program for the education of children today are retardation of sexual development and premature religious influence?" In other words, he's saying that we need to hasten the sexual education of kids and we need to remove religion out of school because it hinders that first project. And don't we see that in our schools every day today? Don't we, right? Yeah, yeah That's absolutely. basically why we're having so much issues. Uh, parents and teachers can't agree on when to introduce sex ed 
But now I think it's what, drag queen story hour. I mean, we're, yeah, exactly. we're, we're 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 so far past that. I think it's also a question of identity at the end, right? I mean, uh, uh, until recently, we believe that identity is given, and you basically discover and you basically uh, confine to the identity that is, you know, socially and culturally and in society acceptable. Uh, not just because of the construct, as Christians, we would say uh, identity as God has created us to be. Uh, uh, but I think it's all about uh, creating your own identity. And in that task, I think uh, within the school system, what we are seeing is that's the, the, the whole attempt of introducing them to their sex and he- letting them actually find their own true self. Because your basic nature is sexual. If that's the case, it has to be developed from the very early stages of your life, the very formation that happens in early early stages of you growing up. So I think that's where the whole educational system takes up this role of helping the kid to actually identify as they would want themselves to be. I, I think that I'm, I'm going to push back just a touch because I think that that's what they would tell you. Yeah. But what I think is actually happening is more a little bit more insidious than that because first of all they want to expose a broad the more children they expose to alternative sexual ideas Mm. the more likely those children will be to pick up on those alternative ideas and then um, create a larger pool of similar thinking individuals so we've seen this with rapid onset gender dysphoria um, you know in uh, uh, Schreier's book yeah. uh, talks about this uh, irreversible damage and things of that nature. Uh, but beyond that, there's a long history, especially within the uh, the homosexual community, of um, an attraction to younger, and this goes all the way back to the Greeks, right? You used to have the older man have a, a, some kind of a homosexual liaison with a younger man because, because younger boys tend to be a little bit more effeminate in their shape and so so there's that aspect that's happening kind of under the under the radar as well and it's it's sad it, mm-hmm. but it's it's dangerous so i think i basically, think basically it's grooming it's yeah it's but every you know every group always wants to replicate themselves mm-hmm. right so when you have a a family and and you want to have children that that's a natural outgrowth when you're homosexual how do you replicate your sex you can't do it naturally you you can do sperm and you know um surrogacy and all of that stuff uh but another way you can do it is by drawing more folks into the fold and again i don't know that this is happening consciously i'm not saying that but i am saying that I know that there has been the, the National Man Boy Love Association isn't a fictional um, entity. They've been around for a while. So there is a subset of that group who will have that predilection. I'm curious uh, because this is so prevalent in modern day America right now. Do you see this infiltrating the church and even Christian uh, schools? In one way, um, whether it's infiltrating or not, I think there is a deficiency in our understanding of it. What we have done Mm -hmm. is actually when it comes to issues like this, what happens is that there is a huge price to be paid 
if you take a certain stance, uh, if you take a biblical stance, for example. Um, and the other thing is that there's an assumption of this space of neutrality when it comes to issues like this, right. where they capitulate or, or relegate their authority to the school authorities, uh, to the school board, for them to decide on these matters. And they basically privatize their own decisions within the four walls of the church and their own household. So the, uh, the distinction be becomes between the sacred and the secular, whereas it should happen between the sacred and the profane, right? That which is not sacred is profane, and that which is not profane is sacred. Um, and so in that regard, when it comes to issues like this, I think, um, is it coming within the church? I think so. Uh, in a similar pace. It's a big issue within the church right now, and sadly, not every uh, church leader is prepared to engage with these issues. Uh, and in so doing, because you don't want to create any kind of rift, you don't want to create any kind of, because this will create rift. Mm -hmm. it, it's a serious matter. Um, usually what we do is actually we put this under the rug and we don't bring it up to even discuss or prepare our congregations to engage with. Do you have with. any specific ex uh, examples of Sure. That? How about, how about uh, the many different uh, battles that are going on, say, within Anglicanism, within Methodism, about the church's longstanding commitment to natural marriage versus uh, pastors who want to perform same-sex unions? Yeah. And you have church splits starting to happen, you have actually even denominational divisions happening over that issue directly. Um, beyond that, you uh, you have individuals who are even let's let's take in the subset of evangelicalism. Okay, let's not talk about necessarily uh, groups that maybe would be considered mainline or progressive, but let's talk about even within evangelicalism, you have a <clears throat> a distinction going on and, and an argument between groups who are, sem some are saying, well, you know, drag queen story hour, we live in a, a pluralistic society, we shouldn't outlaw it. We shouldn't as Christians stand against that uh, as a governmental faction, or you can't say you're not a Christian if you don't stand against this. Hmm. You know, we, you, we have to let live and let live, right? So David French is the, the yeah. primary example that we're talking about here, and others are coming against him and saying, and then they go off and say, well, he's not a Christian. I think that's an overreaction as well. I don't think you can do that. And I think you have to listen to arguments on both sides. Uh, but ultimately, I, I love Jacob's distinction of, of the sacred versus the profane, because I don't think we draw those distinctions in that. We don't characterize them in that way. Even within a pluralistic society, there were certain things that you shouldn't do, right? Even, even though Rome wasn't the church, Telemachus still stood up and said, hey, the gladiatorial games really need to stop. And the same thing, you know, we're breathing the same air. Yeah. And we should be caring, you know, what is polluting the air that we are that's, breathing that's in. That's right. So. Very good. Yeah. Now, I know we're touching on uh, civilization here, culture, society. There's a uh, quote that I want to uh, read here, and Carl Truman includes it in the book. And it's in one of uh, Freud's essays, apparently. He wrote also on matters of culture, society, civilizations, apparently. So here's the quote by Freud. Primitive man was better off in knowing no restrictions of instinct. To counterbalance this, his prospects of enjoying this happiness for any length of time were very slender. Mm. Civilized man has exchanged a portion of his possibilities of happiness for a portion of security. 
So when you pit that against each other, as we're seeing today, happiness for security, yeah. it seems like this current generation definitely wants both. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very much the language of the social contract. So it's right. social contract theory that we give up, right? And again, we're going back to, to Rousseau. Uh, well, or, or Locke or right. any right. of these guys who said that, yeah, you, you, um, you, it was Hobbes, I think, who first says that we, sur you know, we surrender unto kings because he provides safety for us otherwise. And what Freud is saying is, yeah, you could be a completely sexually free being, but uh, you may only live to 30. Or, as Truman says, you know, guess what? It's only the strongest gorilla that gets all the girls. Mm -hmm. You know, the, 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 yeah. if you're, you're the alpha male, if you're the beta male, you're out of luck. And, and he, that's a good point. And so what, what Freud is saying is it's necessary to have civilization. You can't be completely loose because then only the alpha males win. And even then, they may not win for long because the next alpha males come along that's behind right. him. And see, that's what we're seeing today, I think, in the riots of last year or huh? two years ago, right? It, it, they're trying to overthrow the establishment because they feel like they're the new, like you're saying, alpha males are the new big gorillas in town. Well, yeah. And also the, the idea of presentism, right? The pleasure now. Yeah. That, that's a big thing. So, so riots, uh, it's going to bring down the system now. You know, a system that has taken decades to be built. Uh, so that idea kind of drives these actions as well. So, yeah, and and we saw in Portland that uh, that really doesn't work real well. <laughs> when you say we're going to build our own encampments, all of a sudden you're 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 seeing people get shot. You're yeah. seeing the need. Oh well, we'll we're going to need medical assistance. We're going to need police. We're going to we actually do need some of that stuff. And also, if you look, uh, so. If you analyze any society that is chaotic, you'll find that you'll definitely find the perversion of sexual deviances. Yeah. Any society. Yeah, that's, Rome did it. Rome, right? Rome I, I was going to say. Yeah, uh, even today. That, even yeah. today, if you, uh, uh, you, I don't want to name any societies, but you go, you travel around the world and you can see if you're seeing a society which is really, uh, you know, if I may use the term, uncivilized in many mm -hmm. manners, you'll find that uh, you, it, it becomes very obvious and open how they treat uh, their sexual life. Sure. Well, and what's interesting in that is every society that that abuses their sexual freedoms, the the natural after effect is they have a problem with unwanted births. Yeah. So again, with the with the Canaanites, right, and the Israelites who were worshiping uh, false gods. Uh, through temple prostitution and other things like that, they would go up to the high hills, which were shaped like phallic symbols, and they would have, uh, you know, sexual relations with the with the priests and things of that nature. Uh, they had a birth problem, so how did they solve it? Molech, you would sacrifice your infant to Molech. Uh, we use abortion, and the, it's the abortion issue that becomes the the way we sacrifice our children. The Romans abandoned their infants on the Tiber River, hmm. but but any society that has a sexual problem will inevitably have a secondary problem with unwanted births and how do they deal with that yeah and that's then makes us again less human and, and at the end it it never becomes a matter of sin it always becomes a matter of limitations right mm. you don't have certain right. you know you don't have certain availability to the pills right, or, right. or contraceptions and all it, those right. that's creating these you know people it, entering it's, it's into it's always yeah. a negotiation of the best benefits one can get, yeah. you know. Um, you don't want to lose any benefits.
So uh, I know we have like just five minutes left, uh, and we keep going for another hour, but uh, Freud had a lot to say about religion, specifically oh. Christianity, obviously. And we get famous phrases like wish fulfillment, right? Mm. So, so that's where we get that idea that uh, Christianity is just wishful thinking. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on that? What, what, what have you gathered from Freud in terms of his attack on Christianity or traditional Christian values? Well, I do like uh, the fact that Truman points out that this is the one area where Freud kind of loses his cool. He, he, he is vehemently yeah. anti—he's an atheist. Right. Uh, so he's coming from that perspective. He has to because he wants to say all of this is biological, medical— uh, your your internal drives are just like the 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 dog who comes up and humps your leg. Same idea. Uh, but it, if there's a god, then Freud's wrong. Just full stop. And and so he doesn't even he doesn't even uh, try and cloak his disdain for God and Christianity. He he actually does come right out and say it pretty pretty vocally. Yeah. Yeah, he says that uh, religious, religion is infantile. It's just immaturity, and uh, you're neurotic if you believe in God. Yeah, I think if we're going to give into Freudian understanding of our being, uh, we'll, we will lose a lot many good things that has built flourishing societies. One of the basic things that that will be, that'll be under attack will be the whole idea of marriage. That's why I would say it is so important to define what marriage is from a biblical perspective and uh, making a defense for it in our society. I think this, this perversion that we are seeing with regards to the sexual expression and everything in our society is basically dismantled that very institution that God has set up, a holy institution that calls for lifelong commitment between two people, um, um, uh, male and female, as, as the scripture describes it, and to keep it holy. Yeah. And I think the Freudian understanding of sexuality doesn't offer any kind of solution. And that's what, I mean, they can't come up with one. They can uh, propose, which I believe Freud is in terms of like scientific you know, solution to it eventually, but there is no ultimate solution for it. But the scripture provides one, which is that it calls it holy, and it calls us to yeah. abide by the, the, the beautiful constraints that uh, the Lord puts around mm -hmm. sexuality that maintains procreation and pleasure yeah. together. And that's really a good way to end in these last few minutes. Uh, the Freudian idea is just not livable. Yeah. yeah. And like you were saying, uh, Jacob, that hopefully we are in the beginning stages of a reformation because we see how a lot of these ideas brought upon by the likes of Nietzsche, Marx, Darwin, Rousseau, uh, now Freud, just is opposite of human flourishing. It's just not going to work. Um, and so I think the church sh should have done a better job, uh, and, and it's not too late. But when, when a secular culture is, is attacking the very nature of family and, and sex and gender, yeah. we better be watching out big mm. time. Yeah. Because if you destroy something that's very important to what, humanity is all about the fact that we were created in God's image then we lose everything and if you are a parent you, this is the time for you to assume your sacrificial responsibility towards your children yeah. in particular 
I, I want to end on this one right here. Uh, I, I want your thoughts on this. What would be an alternative to, to this? So if happiness is, is something that God wants for us, I think he does. Not not the name it claim it type prosperity gospel, right? Yeah. But it, it's being um, connected to Him is where we find true happiness. What what can we offer the seeker in this? So if if all of these ideas leading up to Freud really don't work, where do we find happiness? I, I think you got and I try to use the word joy sometimes. Mm-hmm. It, happiness is like okay, I've I've gone on this roller coaster. It's two minutes now. I'm done. But joy is something different, something lasting. There's a satisfaction to all of life. Even in the dark times, you can have a joy. You can hold on to a joy uh, of life. And I think, wow, wouldn't that be great to have joy even in the dark times? And I think sexual expression is a gift from God. And when it fulfills the telos, the the goal that the, the maker has set for it, I think when we do that, we... We enter into that realm of joy, absolutely true joy, and that Christ offers, uh, and that's what we should family, be right? That's exactly. what Thanksgiving was about. It was no greater joy than to be around you. Yes, yeah. I mean, first uh, or second Thess- Thessalonians tells us to rejoice always, right? yes. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving, that same passage tells us to give thanks for everything. For this yeah. is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. That's where we find true happiness. I wish we can talk to the modern-day Freudians out there. It is not sex that'll give you happiness. It is only in union with Jesus. All right? So you have been listening to Apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. Our hope is that you've learned some. Something new about the Christian worldview that strengthens your faith and make you want to learn more. So special thanks to my panel, Jacob and Lenny, and to our behind-the-scenes sound engineer back there who makes everything work for us. Special thank you to you, our listeners. You make this show possible. Until next time, good night.